Good morning. It's Monday, October 26th. I'm Shemitah Basu. And I'm Duarte Geraldino. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. If you take a look at most national polls, they're not looking good for Donald Trump in this final stretch of the 2020 election. Some of them show Joe Biden is leading Trump by double digits. But for many people, there's this feeling of deja vu. After all, the polls told a very similar story about Hillary Clinton four years ago. Sue Halpern is out with an article in The New Yorker that explains why you shouldn't dismiss today's polling. It all comes down to understanding the limits of the polls you're looking at. So true. You know, one of Halpern's main points is that polls are not predictive. Rather, Mm -hmm. they're snapshots of what's happening at a very specific moment in time. And frankly, national polls don't tell the full story. Back in 2016, the polls showed Clinton was up by three percentage points against Trump. And they were right, mm-hmm. but only for the single moment that they referenced. And, you know, she did win the popular vote by that much. But as you know, the popular vote does not decide the presidency. One of the big blind spots in conventional polling is that ultimately a poll is only as good as the information respondents feel comfortable volunteering. Some researchers think a better way to get a sense of how people are really feeling maybe through their social media posts. Yeah, The New Yorker looks at one company called Expert AI, which uses artificial intelligence and machine learning to comb through tens of thousands of social media posts. And they're looking for things that traditional polls wouldn't be able to capture. Things like how many times a candidate's name is featured in a post with negative or positive connotations. And Expert AI says that based on their data, This race is really much tighter than any of the conventional polls are saying. Expert AI also accurately called Brexit, and their 2016 presidential data showed a much tighter race then, too. Also, keep in mind, there's so many variables this year that polls just can't predict. The impact of the pandemic on voting, for one, how mail-in ballots will be counted, lawsuits, challenging results. It's all a good reminder that while everyone is trying to figure out who's going to win this race— It's still so very far from over. And just like 2016 showed the limits of predictive polling, 2020 may also have a November surprise. The candidates have been zigzagging the country, making their final pitches to voters. At a small drive-in rally in suburban Pennsylvania, Joe Biden criticized President Trump's handling of the virus. There's a dark winter ahead. Experts say we're going to lose nearly 200,000 lives nationwide in the next few months if we don't step up. Because he cares more about the stock market than he does about you. President Trump also held several rallies over the weekend. He spoke to a packed, mostly maskless crowd in North Carolina on Saturday, and he responded to Biden. Did you hear him the other night? It's going to be a cold, dark winter. Very inspiring guy. Very. This is very inspiring. Whoa. I even said, whoa. Whoa. No, we got to have spirit, our country. You know, we're coming back. We're rounding the turn. We're doing great. Our numbers are incredible. All this was happening as the U.S. hit the highest number of coronavirus cases per day on Friday. And the White House is facing another outbreak, this time in the vice president's office. Already, more than 59 million people voted. 
And with only one full week to go, both camps are hitting the campaign trail really hard. They're trying to convince people who might not otherwise vote to head to the polls. Reuters spoke with a category of people considered infrequent or apathetic voters. And some of them are deciding this is the year to come off the sidelines. Yeah, Leanne Putman-Thomas lives in Iowa. She's 53 years old, and she tells Reuters she's never felt compelled to vote, but this year is different. She filled in the circle near Joe Biden's name, sent in her ballot, but she tells Reuters her vote was not so much in support of the Democrat and more of a protest vote against Donald Trump. It's an interesting point because a lot of these apathetic voters appear to be leaning towards Biden. Reuters cites an October Pew Research Center survey that found Biden leading Trump by 16 percentage points among those who didn't vote four years ago. And there are similar findings from the University of Wisconsin Elections Research Center. According to that group's data, in three key states, Biden is also leading Trump among people who didn't vote in 2016 by 27 percentage points. And I'm talking about Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. But as we told you earlier, you may need to take those polls with a few grains of salt because Mm -hmm. the margin of error could be wider than we think. That's right. Polls are snapshots. But the Trump campaign has had a much stronger ground game in these states. From the very beginning of the campaign, they've been out on the streets, going door to door, aggressively going after infrequent voters. And in some battleground states like Pennsylvania, Florida and North Carolina, they've successfully registered more voters than the Democrats. This year gave us a different sort of 2020 vision. Protests for racial justice and the cell phone videos that sparked most of them helped us see how unevenly the justice system treats black men and boys. And the pandemic, it made the sharp economic disparities between the rich and the poor so painfully clear, just like it exposed how weak America's social safety net is for people in crisis. The Washington Post introduces us to one family that lives at the intersection of both these crises. The reporter Hannah Dreyer writes about Kelly Lewis. She's Black, a single mom of two kids, and her oldest is an 11-year-old son named Ahav. Ahav describes himself as smart and creative. His mom agrees. He also, like a lot of people in America, has a mental illness, and his therapist says he experiences hallucinations. From a young age, he used to tell his mom there's a man inside his body making him do bad things. Sometimes this means Ahav gets violent or threatens to hurt himself. Other times it means he runs away. Managing Ahav was always a challenge, but this year it got so much worse. As Dreyer writes, Kelly was doing okay until the spring when Ahav's school closed because of the pandemic. Around the same time, his medication seemed to stop working. Since then, Ahav has been hospitalized seven times. Once he tried to jump out of a moving car... But each time, Medicaid wouldn't pay for stays longer than just a couple of days, despite his mom wanting him to stay longer. Sometimes, when things get too difficult for Kelly to handle, she thinks about calling the police. But she knows the data. According to the Washington Post, one in four people who are killed by police have a mental illness. And Black people are killed at a higher rate than white people. But recently, just a few months ago, Ahav threw a suitcase at his mother. And he hurt her. And then he took off out the door, running toward the highway. She was worried that she wouldn't be able to catch him. So she did call 911. And she says she was lucky that day. An officer showed up who had been trained to respond to mental health calls. 
Instead of arresting Ahav, he sat down with him on the guardrail on the side of the highway and talked for more than an hour. Kelly and her son's story remind us many of the families who were struggling before 2020 are suddenly so much worse off. I follow the reporter who wrote this article, and there's been an overwhelming response to this story on social media. A lot of people are now trying to figure out how to help Kelly and more importantly, help similar families in their own communities. Finally, to bring things full circle a bit, remember how earlier this year there were headlines about something called murder hornets? These are insects from Asia that are so destructive they can take out whole hives of bees. They made headlines because even though they're not native to the U.S., they'd been spotted in Washington state. Recently, entomologists made a breakthrough. They trapped several of these giant hornets in a forest in Blaine, Washington. They actually used dental floss to attach tiny radio tracking devices to some of these bugs. From there, the entomologists were able to track the hornets back to their nest, which turned out to be a cavity in a tree. And then, in the middle of the night, these entomologists suited up and went to the tree, wrapped it in plastic wrap, and literally vacuumed the hornets out of the tree. The Daily Beast has a write-up on this operation. You gotta check out the photos of these bug scientists dressed like stormtroopers <laughs> heading out for this mission. The Daily Bees, am I right? <laughs> I'm yeah, sorry, that's that, terrible. <laughs> Please don't include that. <laughs> <laughs> you can find all these stories and more on the Apple News app. There, you can also find coverage of today's Senate vote on Amy Coney Barrett's nomination to the Supreme Court. We'll talk with you again tomorrow. 